The opinions and views shared in this podcast are the opinions and views of the host and the host alone. They are not a reflection of his employer or any other organization that the host is a member of. The host does not speak for anyone, only himself. This is the I Am Pith Podcast. Get ready for contact. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's your boy, Dex. Thank y'all for tuning in to the Iron Pits Podcast. I know it's been a while. I just got back from a much-needed and long hiatus. I took my first-ever big-boy vacation, and actually my first-ever real family vacation. I took the family down to Miramar Beach, Florida, and Destin. We were down there for about uh, five, six days, and let me tell you, man, I should have been doing this a lot sooner in my career and with my family a long time ago it was the first time I've ever ever actually taken the time and put my family first before I put my career my job my work first and let me tell you I had a blast it felt so good being somewhere where I was not the police and being somewhere where people didn't know me and being somewhere where I felt safe it was such a good feeling it was amazing and even better was just my kids are generally pretty happy kids we have a wonderful family we do our best to provide our kids with everything that they want and everything that they need and so much more but I've never seen my kids as happy or so happy when we walked up the little plank for the first time towards the beach and then next thing you know you just saw sand and ocean man it was truly amazing and a blessing from God you know, I've worked so hard over the years and have not really taken the time to just stop and smell the roses and just enjoy life with my family. Man, just seeing my kids running around on the beach screaming, splashing in the water, burying each other in the sand. It was magical, man. And I just felt I feel rejuvenated, recharged and refreshed. You know, my son, I told on my Facebook that I was like for a little black boy from Louisville who can't swim. This little dude sure do, sure does love the water and the beach, man. I mean, we would be sleeping. It'd be like 536 o'clock and you just hear the door. <coughs> Mommy, Daddy, is it time to go to the beach yet? I'm like, yeah, dude, everybody's still asleep. Like even the creatures in the ocean are still asleep, man. What are you talking about? You know, hey, But he was so excited, man. I mean, he just uh, I've never seen him that happy about anything. So. We officially have a beach bum on our hands, even though he can't swim. And my daughter, God bless her soul, she's so she's a sweetheart, man. She's an awesome daughter, but she's a little fancy. You know, I remember when she got in the water the first time, and that salt water hit her eyes. It burns! It burns! <laughs> yeah, but she got used to it. Yeah, and got to experience some of the sea creatures in Florida. Man, I don't know what these white people were thinking, but uh, there was a creature out in the ocean with a shark fin. I'm 100% sure it was a shark. People saying say it was a dolphin. Nah, bro, that was no dolphin. It was this large black mass, and it had a giant fin on it. And people were, white people were out in the water trying to get closer to it and take photos. I was like, you know what? Nah, not me, bro. I'm not getting close, dog. I'm going to back up a little bit towards shore and put my feet on some dry land. But yeah, yeah, they seen some jellyfish. 
you know, it's just it's just crazy all the stuff that's out there in the ocean. So it was a good time, man, and it was much needed, dude. And let me tell you, as a guy that hates car trips, I hate car trips. I spent 12 hours a day in a police car, so I'd rather fly. But, man, I truly, truly enjoyed the drive down to Florida, and I really enjoyed the drive back. So we had a wonderful time in Florida. I got to reconnect with my wife and my family. But while I was in Florida, sitting on the beach, working on my delicious delicious tan i got a text message from uh the military order of the purple heart here in kentucky in which i'm a member of uh, chapter 146 and if you don't know what the military order of the purple heart is it is a brotherhood of individuals men and we have a women's auxiliary who have been wounded in combat and man, this is i've been a part of this organization since probably for, since 2015 i believe is when i got sworn in and when I got sworn in with the military or the Purple Heart, I was on the police department. I was working on the U.S. Marshals Task Force. So I went to the meeting. But however, for some odd reason, we were locked out. And it's in the middle of winter. And it's extremely cold and there's snow all over the place. So we do the ceremony in the parking lot. It's beautiful, man. It, so I'm sitting there in the parking lot with these guys. And they swear me in. And there's snow around us. And they're like, hey, you know, you're officially a member of you know military or the Purple Heart, Chapter 146. And while I was there, I was the commander at the time. His name was Mike Rayleigh. So he was the one that initially swore me in. And he was, so, like I said, while I was sitting on the beach a couple, couple days ago, I got a text from the guys and they said that Mike had passed away. Uh, Mike had been battling cancer for the last few years. You know, he lost his wife about eight years ago to cancer, pancreatic cancer, I believe. And so, you know, Mike's been battling his cancer. And the last time I saw Mike was a probably a couple weeks ago or a month ago or two at the uh cracker barrel here in louisville uh we usually have a breakfast once a month where we all meet up and, and it's absolutely phenomenal just getting getting to be around these individuals that have served our country and been wounded in battle and a lot of these guys are vietnam era we got one guy sergeant major man he is a three-star cib i mean he fought in world war ii korea and vietnam and the fact that I get to be around these people and my son gets to be around them is absolutely just he doesn't realize the treasure that he has in being around these caliber men. And Mike just absolutely loved my son. He was just talking with my son, giving him a high five. And Mike was scooting around on his little walker. He was still getting around and living his life and he still kept a smile. But when I heard that he had passed, it crushed my soul. It hurt. Because Mike was such a wonderful man, legit. And, you know, for me, the one thing I love about the military and the veteran community and along the police department, and law enforcement side of things, yo, is that, you know, in this world where we get so bogged down by politics and left and right and color, the only color that matters in the military or the Purple Heart is the purple that uh, that comes with the award and the fact that we all shed our blood, which is red, in combat for our country. And from the moment I met Mike, Mike didn't look at me like, hey, you're just some young black kid. Mike didn't care about that. From the moment I met Mike, he embraced me as his own, as his brother. And the beauty of America and the beauty of an organization such as the military or the Purple Heart is that you could take a guy like Mike. Mike was 75. Mike fought in Vietnam. 
Mike was an older white man. And me, I'm 37. I fought in the Iraq war. I'm black. We are from two different generations. We are two different, two different colors. And none of that matters. But we were united. And we were, he and I were brothers. Because he and I both sacrificed our lives for our country. And the love that we have for our fellow veterans, our fellow wounded veterans in our country, that was uniting enough. That was all that we needed to be united. Nothing outside of that mattered. Nothing. And Mike, just a beautiful soul. And, you know, and the crazy part is, like with a lot of older veterans from World War II, Korea and Vietnam, we don't know a lot of their stories. All I knew was that Mike was wounded. And I was never, I've never thought to ask Mike, dude, what happened? How'd you get wounded? Not only that, this man's got a bronze star. And so I guess Mike, knowing that he was on his deathbed and getting ready to breathe his last breath on earth, he uh, called people over and he started sharing the story of his service in Vietnam. So I'm going to go ahead and read to you all what I got. So Mike was born... Mike Rayleigh was born June 20th, 1949. He enlisted in the U.S. Army July 1968 out of Fort Knox, Kentucky. And he was deployed to Vietnam in 1969, where he served in Bien Ho, Vietnam, part of I, uh, First Corps. So in November of 1969, Mike was manning the M60 machine gun when all of a sudden his unit was ambushed. During that ambush, an RPG was shot at him, and the RPG tore through his arm and exploded behind him. And it sent Mike flying in the air. And after he was wounded, Mike got back up without regard for his own life, took his position back on the M60 machine gun, and returned fire for over 45 minutes. And he helped repel the force that had attacked and ambushed his unit. For his wounds, he was awarded the Purple Heart, and for his actions on that day and for the many lives he saved of his brothers, Mike was awarded the Bronze Star. Mike finished his two-year enlistment and was honorably discharged in 1970, and he worked for John Stone for an additional 10 years. After his retirement, Mike continued to volunteer at the VA here in Louisville. You know, Mike lived 75 years. His time in the military was only two years. Two years out of 75 years is not of a lot, but that two years in which you go and serve your country and you go to war and you're wounded and you accomplish a task such as Mike did and keeping his guys alive that day, that's a big two years. That's a heavy two years that you carry with you for the rest of your life. You know, so I was at the funeral home the other day with the uh, guys from the military order of the Purple Heart. And I got to see Mike laying in his casket, but he looked peaceful. You know, he, Mike was a paratrooper with the 82nd Airborne. And so at the end of the service, we all walked up to the casket and rendered our final salute to our brother. Mike, we love you, brother. We are going to miss you. You are a good man and welcome home. And I pray that, pray that you're getting everything that you deserve and more up in heaven and that you and your wife are reunited in your sister, brother. Thank you for loving me despite the color of my skin. Thank you for being a brother. 
Thank you for everything. Thank you for loving on my children. And every time you're seeing me ask, asking about my kids. We love you, Michael. We are going to miss you, brother. You left a mark on all of us here. 75 years, brother. I can only hope and pray to God that I get 75 years and make the type of impact that you made and be the type of man that you are. You know, Michael's so quiet and humble. And you would have never known he went through all that. And just the way he carried himself, you would have never known that a man so peaceful and quiet and such a sweet man could extract such violence. But see, when you love somebody and you defend people, you will do whatever it takes to protect those who you love. And that day in November 1969, Mike did what it took to protect his brothers that day. Even after being wounded, he still got up and carried out his duties. You know, it's a beautiful thing that uh, this America thing we have going and that we have people such as Mike Rayley who accomplished such amazing feats. You know, it's an honor to be associated with him and other guys in the military order of the Purple Heart Chapter 146. You know, and the biggest thing for me is, and I'm not going to lie, this is something I've been battling with for years. And I've been wanting to talk about it on the podcast for a while, but I have not. You know, because... I talk about it in my book and I don't really want to give away too much of the book, which is coming out here in the next couple months. But I've always had this battle in my mind, but going back and forth between Dexter, are you black or are you just an American? What are you? Who are you? What are you? You know, and I had two incidents when I was on vacation that kind of led me to want to talk about this and bring this up. So the first thing incident was I was talking with my guy, Adam Davis, who's helping me do my book. And as you all know, the name of my book is I Am Pitt's Memoirs of a Black American Patriot. And I just kept looking at the title, at the subtitle, Memoirs of a Black American Patriot. And the biggest thing for me is in my book, I talk about, yes, I am black, but black is only the color of my skin. Black does not detail my character. Black does not give me my character. Black does not tell you who I truly am. That's just the outer skin of who I am. That doesn't tell you much about me. But as you flip through the pages and read my story, you learn about me. Like, I don't have to tell anybody I'm black. You can look at me, look at me and be like, hey, oh, that guy's really black. Yeah, go figure. No, duh, you know. But and the biggest thing for me is I don't want the people to get caught up on the title on that one word black. Because some people see it and it's a negative thing because there are people who see such see black and like they're automatically going to shut down not going to want to read the story but you got some people that read that and they're like oh this is another one of those type of books where you know playing identity politics and playing into the color scheme and that is not what i want to do but i was talking to my guy adam davis and he told me from reading this book and doing your edits for you i think it's best that we take out the black part from your book and i absolutely agree absolutely agree you know so i'm gonna go with i am pitt's memoirs of an american patriot because there's one thing i've learned over the years and one thing i learned from being a part of the military order of the purple heart and one thing i have learned from my time in service and my time on the police department and that's that patriots have no color patriotism the only colors we love in our loyalty is red white and blue Black, white, none of that matters. None of that has ever mattered. But for some odd reason, we always get bogged down in 
what color we are and the culture of everything. But see, on the other side, that's not to say that I'm ashamed of my skin color and that I'm ashamed of being black. I'm not. I just don't want the color of my skin to be my defying characteristic. I want my character to shine through, not what I look like. I want how I act to shine through. I want who I am at my core to be how people remember me. I don't want to just be a black guy. I am a black guy, but that means nothing at the end of the day. Because you strip all of us of our skin color. We all look the same under our, all these layers of skin. I just happen to have a, little, a lot more pigment than most. You know, then we start falling into these two camps, you know, where I have friends who say, you know, I don't see color or we're all humans. You know, we're all just Americans. And I, man, I go back and forth on this all the time. I'll be honest. I don't necessarily have an answer for all of that and what's correct and what's true because everyone's different. Everybody's experience is different. On one hand, I feel I believe that the things that make us different, such as our skin color, are beautiful differences. And these are the things that we should celebrate and rejoice, not divide over. The fact that God made us all so different and that you could have somebody like me is super dark and somebody like my dude, Mike, that just passed, who's extremely white, but still come together and be friends. That's a beautiful thing. So I, a part of me hates when people say, says, I don't see color. I'm colorblind because that's not true. I understand the, what they're saying. And they're saying that I just, I don't see you as a black man. I see you just as who you are and you're a good person. And I absolutely agree with that. Yo, but don't take away my blackness from me. Don't take away my skin tone from me because you do see me as a black man. If you see me across the room in a room full of people, how are you going to point Dex out? You can be like, oh, that's Dex. He's the black guy, the really dark black guy over there. And guess what? That is absolutely okay. I don't have a problem with that at whatsoever. It is okay to see somebody as their color because that is what there are. We live in reality here. There's white people, black people, you know, Chinese. I mean, people, we come in all different shades and colors, man. You know, some people say, well, we can't say that. We can't say black. We can't say white people of color. We make stuff way too difficult and way too confusing. I really don't care how you identify me. I really don't. You know, then we have some people who say that we're all just Americans. We are all the human race. And I do agree with that, you know, it, but at the same time. You are stripping me of what makes me unique, and that is the color of my skin. Like I say, that's it's something that makes me unique on the outside, but it should not be something that defines me and something that you should be comfortable taking away from me. You know, and I and like I said, I, I still get confused on what's the way to go with this. I really don't know. Is it okay to be just an American? Is it okay to just be a black American? I mean, because that's the truth. I mean, we are all united under one flag, but at the same time, I mean, it's I guess everyone has their own preference. Me, I really don't. I guess you could say I really don't care what you call me. Was you calling me American, a black American, African-American? I really don't care. At the end of the day, honest to God, I'm just proud to be an American. I am proud of the sacrifices that I have made for this country and my service to this country. And I'm proud of the sacrifices that my brothers and sisters within this country that they have made as well. And they are all ge different genders and races across the board. I mean, I have such a spectrum of friends that 
That's what I pride myself on. I don't just hang out with all black people, all white people. I hang out with just people. And the thing, like I said, yes, I do see them as just my friends. I don't have, oh, that's my black friend, Jim. That's my white friend guy. You know, I might call you up by your color to point you out if, you know, we're in a crowd of people. But that's, I don't define you by the color of your skin. I define our friendship by your character. So, you know, I was working with my guy, Adam Davison. We're going to make that change. And I feel like that's a good and positive change. And, you know, some people are not going to like it. And that's absolutely okay. But I feel like changing the name of my, the subtitle of my book to Memoirs of an American Patriot. It kind of helps what I believe stick. And that is just a yes, I am black. But, hey, at the end of the day, I'm just an American. I have dark skin. I am black. But, hey. I'm an American just like everybody else in this country, man. And then after that incident, my buddy Josh Cox, my battle buddy from Iraq, called me. And I'm sure if you all listened to the Memorial Day episode, you remember Josh. He was on there. That was when I flew down to Kerrville, Texas, spent Memorial Day with him and my buddy Randy, both two Hispanic guys and me, the lone black guy. (laughs) And we had such a blast that weekend. Man, I wish I had a time machine to roll back the clock and go back, man. That was such a good weekend. But he called me, Josh called me, and he had a question. And, man, the, the thing I love about me and Josh and my military friends is that we don't hesitate to ask questions that might be offensive. But the thing is, this was not offensive. He was just absolutely curious and just wanted to know. And I and I encourage this between people that are friends, that have friends that are that look different than them. As friends, we should be able to ask each other questions without getting offended. And so when Cox called me and he he tells me first, like, man, look, I don't want you to get offended, but I'm just curious. I got to know. I was like, what's up, man? You, you know, you can ask me anything. You, man, you and I watched each other's backs in Iraq in 04 and 05, dog. There is nothing you can say to me that's going to make offend me. He asked me, man, what do you define as black culture? What is black culture to you, Dex? And you know, and I told him, man, I, that that is very hard to define for me because he's like, yeah, you're black. But what do you consider black culture? And that is like I said, that's hard to define for me, because although I am black, my black experience in America has been one that's pretty positive for, for the most part. There have been issues Just like I said, when I was growing up, I used to be tortured and terrorized by black kids on the bus for being dark skinned and threatened and beat up for being black by other black kids. So I didn't have the stereotypical, you know, being chased by all the white kids down the street for being black. You know, that was not my upbringing, you know, but I did have plenty of issues with other black kids. And I say I'm not getting too deep into it because I talk about it in my book. And I just really sat and pondered and talked with him about it for a minute and And how do we define black culture today? And the thing is, for me, I am black. I am an American, but I have my own culture within my family. And I mean, America, as you break America down, yeah, you have black people in America, but the black experience is not the same for everybody. So it's hard for me to say what exactly is black culture, because you have different cultures within different communities in different parts of the country, just like where I work in Louisville. And or just like in most we'll go with most inner cities. If you go to the inner city, there is a black culture that exists that is toxic. And I talk about that. 
I'm not ashamed to talk about it. It is a hood culture. But see, that hood culture, that might be for black people, but they also have that in white communities as well that are suffering, you know, from economic, suffering from economic loss and all of this, man, and that don't have, you know, the money and the structure down there. And so poverty permeates. And so it's a hood culture that it's really deep in the black community, but that's not all black people. So when I go to the West End, prime example, I remember when I first started working in the West End, a black dude came up to me, hey, yo, what's up, bro? Yo, what's good? I'm like, hey, what's up, man? What's going on? Hey, nigga, you know how it is out here, dog, for you? You know how it is for niggas out here in the hood, man, growing up without a dad, right? I was like, nah, no, I, sir, I do not know or understand that. Now, this was happening in the middle of the Park Hill projects, and I'm just like, that I don't know anything about this brother. Trust me. I'm my I'm from I'm a I grew up in the military. Grew up with a mom and a dad, and my family is originally from Mississippi, and we are country Christian conservative people, hundred <laughs> percent. You know, and, and so trying to nail the black experience for just everybody that's hard to do. But unfortunately, I feel like what we do have happening is we're letting the media and social media. And all the negative attributes of the black community, such as hip hop music and, you know, movies, we're letting all this, all these negative things define the entire black community, entire black experience, which is false. And I can't stand for that because none of that represents me, who I am and what I believe. Not one bit. Now, I don't believe in walking around sagging my pants and wearing earrings. I don't believe in wearing some of the things that they wear. And I don't believe in some of the things that they hold in esteem within the black community in the hood. You know, and I can say the black community, the way it is now in the inner city is not it was not always like this. You know, the black community we're seeing now and it's it's heartbreaking. But like I said, that's not all black people. I mean, people that live together in a community typically share the same culture and the same values. So if you take go to a richer part of town, and there's a lot of black people there. They're probably going to have more of the same values because they share, you know, they live together and within that community. And so like within the West End, violence is kind of normal. It's the norm. Drugs is natural. It's kind of the norm. Man, if you go by 26 and Broadway on a Friday night, there's going to be people out on the corner doing dope drinking having a time of their life dancing twerking and that's you know but people are going to take that as black culture and just say that's all black people and that's not the case man you know so i was sitting talking with my boy josh and i was like man you know there's a lot of stuff that goes on within the black community that i just do not identify with and that's absolutely okay because i had like i have my own culture i have my own way of doing things and i'm an individual at the end of the day, yes, I'm a part of different groups. I'm a veteran. I'm a black man. I'm American. I'm a Christian. I'm conservative. And all those things are great. But at the end of the day, who am I when I go home and I close the doors? And what am I teaching my kids? And the things that are being taught in the black community currently, the victim, the victimhood mentality, you know, the the, the music, you know, the I just can't get down with any of that part of the culture. But there are some people that that's their culture and that's their life. And that's all they know. You know, for some of these young black kids in the hood, man, they 
the world that's their only world that they know they don't know anything outside of that and lucky for me i've been blessed enough to where i i was not born into that i said i grew up in the military so my experience has always been diversity diversity has always been my experience i've never gotten bogged down with all black all white it has always been just people for me like i said when i was growing up i had a korean babysitter I learned to use chopsticks when I was like eight years old, man, you know, and I mean, my best friend growing up when I was on Fort Knox, was, his name was Yum. He was from Panama and I had white friends. I mean, I just had an assortment of friends, so I never really got deep in the black culture. The only time I was ever around a lot of all on all and only black people is when we would go visit my family in Mississippi. And even then, that experience was not the experience of people in the hood. We lived, my family's from the country. I mean, deep country, cotton picking country, man. And so I did not have those experiences. It was always, you know, it's very Southern old school, work hard, mind your mom and dad, do as you're told, go to church on Sundays, extremely conservative values. You know? I better not come home with my pants sagging. My dad would beat me. Then, you know, he would pass me off to my grandparents. My grandparents would take a hit. But when I went to Milwaukee to go visit my mom's side of the family who were from Mississippi and migrated up north, it was a different experience. They lived on the north side of Milwaukee. I lived on the north side of Milwaukee for one year. And that was hood as you can get. North side of Milwaukee is awful. And I started to partake in that hood culture that permeates up there. And that's when my mom and dad decided to work things out between them. And we moved back to Kentucky. Because my mom saw what was happening to me and my sister. We were being taken over by the hood culture there. And we started becoming disrespectful. You know, so I, the more I sat and talked to my boy Josh, I say, I just can't really say, you know, what exactly is black culture. I mean, how do you really pinpoint anybody or paint anybody into one thing? You know, and I try not to do that, but at certain times, like when I'm like dealing with the riots last year, or dealing with people in the West End, that's the culture. And that's kind of what people are and what they do. And they behave and act a certain way. But if you go to a certain different part of town, it's completely different, man. So, you know, and the, and the question is, Dex, are you really black? Of course, I'm black. But the thing is, I'm just not black to your standard or what you think is black. Your standard of black and my standard of blacks is two different blacks. And that's absolutely OK. You don't get to define how I get to be black. You don't get to tell me how to be black. You don't get to tell me how to be anybody. I decide that at the end of the day. I say I'm a child of God and my morals and my values and my beliefs come from the Holy Bible. But at the end of the day, I say I'm a Christian, but I say I'm not a perfect Christian, but I still have parts of me that I'm still working on. And there's a lot of things about me that drive other black people crazy. I said, I need to get some of them on the show so we can have some conversations because, you know, a lot of people truly believe that I'm a sellout. I'm Uncle Tom or I'm a coon. And that's OK, just because I don't go along with, you know, towing the party line, the black party line. And I'm not all thing, all black, everything. I just I can't do that. My life has not allowed me to do that. See, I've sworn an allegiance to the Constitution and to protect the people of this country. So when I'm protecting the people of this country, I protect all people the same. I don't get the opportunity. I don't have the privilege of just looking at the black people or just looking at the white people, especially as a Christian. 
Like I said, God has called us to be fisher of men, not black men. And the Constitution applies to all people. So I don't get the luxury of just choosing one group to protect and looking out for their self-interest just because we share, the, we share the same skin color. I look out for all people's self-interest. Now, are there groups that I'm a part of that I do want to look out for the self-interest, such as veterans? Of course, because I have an attachment to the veteran and community, the veteran community, because I have that shared experience with a lot of veterans of being overseas and coming home and feeling lost or being wounded in combat. That is why I have so much more bias towards veteran community, because that has been the majority of my life. I'm 37, but man, I've been working in public service and serving people and swearing the allegiance to the Constitution since I was 19. You know, and I'll be honest, I really hate getting bogged down in this discussion between black and white. But like, is it something that needs to be talked about? Yeah, kind of. But could we really? I mean, it's 2021, dude. We all know there's black people, there's white people, there's all different types of people. And I just really wish that we would hate having to divide ourselves into all these different groups. And but at the same time, I understand because, you know, it's your culture, that's your people, that's your group. That's who you cool with. I understand, you know, but just man, let's let people be people that and just let people do what they do, man. And if they're not bothering you, why bother? But the problem is we start forcing ourselves and our opinions and our views on other people. And then that's how war starts and all this other crap and all this other political crap, man. And so, you know, the fact that my good friend Josh, who asked me that question, you know, is Hispanic and that we have that bond and we have that relationship to where we can talk about such things and not want to kill each other. It's absolutely OK. I say he is my brother, even though he's Hispanic and white. That's my brother. My dude, Randy Guerrero, he's Hispanic, but he's my brother. My my dude, Mike Rayleigh, he's an older white guy. He was my brother. And that is why I just love the military culture and I love the police culture. Because it's not about color. Like I said, the color patriotism, there is no color with patriots. And even better for me was... 18, about 18 years ago, I graduated from one station unit training on Sand Hill to become an infantry soldier. And so when we were leaving Florida, I wanted to stop at the National Infantry Museum because I've always wanted to go to the National Infantry Museum. Been wanting to go there for 18 years, never got to make it. So I finally got to make it and I took my kids there. And man, it was absolutely glorious going in there and just seeing the history of the infantry from beginning to the end and just walking through the global war on terrorism part of the museum man just seeing my kids taking up such an interest in what daddy did as a soldier and learning about all the stuff i carried and the machine guns and all the weaponry it was awesome it, but there was one sobering moment that i had at the national infantry museum i even did a live video about it so when we go outside and I see all these tall black things and I'm looking like, what are these tall black slabs? So I never knew this existed, but they have a war on terror memorial and it has the name of every man and woman who died since 2001 in the war on terror. Man, I went through the wall and got on the well, I got on the website and you could put in somebody's name and it tells you where their name is on the panel. It's our generation's Vietnam wall. 
the Vietnam Wall has over like 58,000 people. Ours only has about maybe, I think, 7,000. But man, it, it was just so powerful. And just seeing my kids look at all these names and they don't know any of these names. They don't know what any of this stuff is. And I have to tell my kids, these are the people that have kept America free. These are the people that have died for our country. And they're all different colors from different backgrounds and different cultures. But they all have one thing in common. They died for us to be standing here now. They died to keep us safe. They died so that we could be here doing what we're doing now. And so I started looking at names on the wall, looking up names of the people I knew. Y'all have heard some of the names, the names on the podcast before, you know, Sergeant Stephen Packer, uh, Carlos Santos Silva, Brian Baker, David Waters, you know, just so many names. And I just go down this list, man. And I'm just looking at all the names of people that have died in the war on terror over the last 20 years. And I remember getting to the last slab and it struck me because the last names of the people that died in the war on terror were there. But I realized that they're getting ready to add, I believe, 13 more names for the Marines and the Navy guy and the Army guy that died in the suicide bombing in Afghanistan at the airport a couple months ago. So they are going to be the last names put up on that wall. And it's. It hit me hard just looking at the number of people killed and the number of people wounded, knowing that I'm one of the people that was wounded and and I'm up on that wall. But it just, you know, it always just gets me when I look at all the names, knowing that my name is not on the wall because I still feel like sometimes I shouldn't be here. But God has given me a second chance and I'm hoping that I'm making the most of the second chance that he has given me since that day, January 2nd of 2005. But man, regardless of all the things I have talked about when it comes to color today and how you feel, I mean, like I said, I still don't know how I feel 100%. I'm still figuring it out. But looking at all those names on that wall, not once did it ever occur to me what color this person was or where this person was from. Never mattered, never cared. The media wants you to think that matters and cares. The news does. But at the end of the day, those names up on that wall, the men and women who died in defense of our country since 2001. The only thing that matters is that they loved America and that they loved their brothers. And we need to get back to that more in this country. Like I said, the, the beauty of America is the fact that you can have somebody like me and somebody like my guy, Mike, come together. Regardless of what our stupid differences are on the outside and still be brothers man i have so many brothers names of people that are up on that wall and i could care less what the color of their skin was i am just appreciative of their sacrifices i'm just glad that we have people in this country who are willing to pay that ultimate sacrifice to keep america safe i'm proud to be associated with those men and women up on that wall And all that they have done. And I'm thankful for their families letting them go and serve our country. I don't know if anybody ever gets the chance to. But if you ever get the chance, you need to go down and see the memorial for those who have fallen during the war on terror. 
I mean, it's it's heavy. It's heavy. Every American needs to go and see those names. And I think that once people go and see those names, man, we could just start just putting aside all this superficial crap that don't matter. Yes, I'm black. Yes, you're white. But at the end of the day, yes, we should respect our differences, man. But at the end of the day, we are one country. We are all Americans, no matter what color we are. Like I said, it don't matter if you put on black, white, American. I really don't care. At the end of the day, we are one country, man. And I am sick and tired of the infighting and politicians leading us astray. I'm sick and tired of all of that. I just want everybody to know I love all my brothers and sisters, regardless of what you look like on the outside. For me, I know what you are on the inside, and that is what makes us brothers and sisters. Just like my brothers in the military and my brothers and sisters in the military order the Purple Heart. I know what you're about. I know what your sacrifice is. I share that with you. And he who sheds his blood with me in love of our country, we shall always be brothers and sisters. Always. There's no one that can ever take that from us. And there is no way I will ever let these politicians shame my service, regardless of why the wars went on. Nobody's ever taken my pride and honor for what I did for my country, for what I did, for which I believe what was right, regardless of the politicians. Man, it's been a heavy podcast. It's been a good one. But I will say it's good to be back. Getting back into the swing of things trying to get things going so i want to thank you all for tuning in like i said sorry about the hiatus but brother needed to get away more than y'all ever realized so so like i said but it's good definitely good to be back on the podcast in front of the microphone so thank you all for tuning in to the iron pitch podcast this is your host dex and all i ask is that you all leave me a review for the show on apple on apple podcast give me five stars uh leave a comment you can also do that on podbean you can also listen to the Iron Pits podcast on Google Play. And we are now also available on Amazon, Spotify as well, and iHeartRadio. So if you would please go visit those and uh, leave me a rating and review. And as I say, I appreciate every download I get, everybody that tunes in and listens. Thank you so much. I absolutely appreciate you all and the support. And like I said, the book should be coming out here in a couple months. So I'm getting ready to start working on a commercial for the book. I'm ready for it to be done and over. It's a long process, but it is absolutely, totally worth it. It's becoming real. So here in the next couple months, uh, just be waiting. And I look forward to all the support that I'll have for it. So thank you all for tuning in. And as always, you all take care of each other. All right. Much love. Y'all be blessed. See you on the next one.